Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. Two days ago, I dropped my son Bradley off at college. And I left that place uh, beaming with pride. There were some tears. And it all made me just really nostalgic. I was thinking back with my time with my son and how it's all just flown by like the blink of an eye. I think about how when he was a baby, he couldn't say popsicle. So multiple times a day, this bright little face would appear around the corner requesting, a psychable? A psychable? Or how when he was six, for the, in the first five minutes of our week-long beach vacation, he decided to do a pencil jump in the pool, which ended in stitches in his chin that took us to the ER and the doctor's orders that he could not swim for seven days. <laughs> awesome. I think I got a picture of that with him and his, his little chin there. There's the little guy. I think about the time he and his younger brother joined me on stage for an amazing choreographed dance number to a Journey song, and he mirrored me exactly, and I realized at this moment this kid was born to be in front of people. I think of all the evenings that I spent in a, folding, a white folding chair in a gym as he moved up his ranks in karate. And Now, there's a picture of him when he received his black belt. But he started years before that as the smallest guy in the class. And I remember sitting every Monday night as he learned the lingo and the commands, as he memorized detailed forms, all the bows and the the kicks and the chops and the turns. And he had it all down precisely until the time of the testing for his first belt when they brought out the boards to break. He had never done that before. In fact, he had never seen them before. And he was one of the smallest in the class. And so he stepped forward and I watched as he hit and it didn't break. And he hit again and it didn't break. And this time he shook his hand a little bit hurt. And the craziest thing happened. His karate teacher stopped everyone. And I was like, oh, this is great. That's us. We're that family. And she took a moment to teach, and she said, I want to say something to everybody here. Your power is only ever going to be found in your follow-through. And she demonstrated to us. She said, if you want to come and break something here, and she motioned, she said, then what you need to do is punch as if you're going to here. You've got to 
follow through. And she looked down on my son's level and said, does that make sense? And he said, yeah. And he smashed that board. And after that moment, he was a machine. But until you learn follow through, you can know all of the lingo. You can memorize all of the commands. You can give the form and the appearance of a martial arts master, but you're only going to hurt yourself and others because it isn't karate until you follow through. You know what I've learned is that following Jesus is exactly the same. It can be easy for us to learn the lingo, to memorize the commands. We begin to talk in Christianese. We understand how a Christian should talk and pray and dress. Heard somebody recently say, Pastor Chuck, I don't pray like you. I said, thank God. Because heaven already has one of me that sounds like me. Heaven needs somebody that sounds like you. But we get these ways that we get around other Christians and we say, this is what a good Christian does and this is the way that we get it and this is how we get the, the form of what we should do. We begin to discuss theology and we find the right things that are orthodox. We have Bible study and listen to sermons. We sing songs. We know the commands. We quote Bible verses and, and we post them online and we buy pillows that have them knitted in. We know the forms. How we hold our hands during worship. Is it one hand up or two? Is it the hand on my heart? Is the little hands down like this? We learn the things that good Christians do and things good Christians shouldn't do. We have quiet times. We watch The Chosen. We sing Maverick City. We build moral worldviews and relationships, but we can still live a life that only hurts us and others because it's not Christianity until you learn to follow through with actually following the way of Jesus. In Jesus' day, there were 613 laws of all of the forms and commands and rules they believed they needed to please God. And one day, one of the teachers of their law, a religious leader, came up and he asked Jesus, trying to trap him, he said, well, out of all those, what's the most important one to the Father? And Jesus' response was telling. In Matthew 22, he says this. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is just like it. Love your neighbors yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It's as if Jesus stopped in the middle of karate class and took a minute to teach and say, hey, I can see that some people are confused and you need to know what it's all about. What does it look like to follow through? I just want your heart. I want you to know me, to want me, to seek me, not tools about me, not lessons that mention me, not clubs that surround around me, but bring your whole heart to me and see how I love you. In overflow, we say that we come to receive God's love. And then he says, then and only then are you positioned to truly love everyone you meet in the same way I'm loving you. You release God's love. It was the spring of 2020, in the height of the pandemic. We were all closed in our houses, wondering what in the world had happened in the world around us. And I found that my news feed and every conversation and every channel was suddenly 
overwhelmed with racial tensions that exploded. A young man named Ahmad Arbery was gunned down in a suburban neighborhood in Georgia in broad daylight while he was jogging. Just a little while later, a man named George Floyd was suspected to have been using a counterfeit bill in a convenience store, and the situation escalated where an officer of the law was kneeling on his neck for nine minutes and 29 seconds, despite Floyd's cry, I can't breathe. He spent the final two minutes of that unconscious before he breathed for the last time. Those two cases, I watched the world horrified and offended. Arguments were made, sides were taken, and in every direction, no matter where you looked, it turned to hostility and heartbreak. And in that moment, as a man and as a pastor and as a dad, it broke my heart and so I ran to social media to post a reflection of the days we were in, to share a prayer, to call for peace. And that post got a lot of likes and it got a lot of shares, but there was one response that changed me. A dear friend of mine, a black man that was my age and that for some time, years back, I'd worked alongside in the kingdom of God that had lived in this mess for far too long, simply replied this. He said, that's great, Chuck, and it's very sentimental, but I have just one question for you. I just want to know one thing. What are you actually doing about it? It shook me. I began to talk other friends of color that I trusted. And I heard, all politics aside, story after story of emotional words from people who look just like me, who rushed to the scene every few years when a story went viral. A stampede of thoughts and prayers, of promises that ultimately proved empty when the dust settled and the next viral story rode into town. And through tears, they told me, they said, it's, it's always the same. For a few days or a few weeks, we talk about solidarity and action and bravery and change. And then the moment passes and life resumes. There's no follow through. According to dictionary.com, virtue signaling is the sharing of one's point of view on a social or political issue, often on social media, in order to garner praise or acknowledgement of one's own righteousness from others who share that same point of view or to passively rebuke those who do not. When I looked around, there's lots of definitions about virtue signaling. And seeing a variety of other sources, I was able to form this second definition. Virtue signaling is an expression of solidarity and compassion toward a person or a group who's marginalized, hurting, or in need that ultimately falls short of providing any tangible comfort, support, or hope. Now, in one way, virtue signaling is the polar opposite of cancel culture. If you remember last week, we talked about cancel culture and how it's emotional and epidemic and this uneducated mass appeal to people to be offended and to shame and to silence over a moral issue. 
Well, to the contrary, virtue signaling thrives not on rejection, but on recruitment to a cause. But when you peel back the layer and look a little bit deeper, you see it's built on exactly the same foundation. See, virtue signaling is also emotional. It thrives on feelings and tears and passionate pleas, and it all sounds so good that it's easy to find ourselves shouting, Amen! before we scroll on to the next story. Virtue signaling is an epidemic. It spreads quickly. It organizes under hashtags and graphics and celebrity endorsements and catchphrases that we make commonplace. But almost always, ultimately, virtue signaling is uneducated. It's a highly emotional call to generic action that costs us little and yields no tangible fruit because we failed to actually slow down and understand those in need and actually walk with them. We make lots of noise, but while we're off to fight the next crusade, feeling virtuous, the people who are needing hope are alone and jaded, and it doesn't matter what issue it is under the sun or where you align your politics. Why? Because we signaled virtue where we needed to sacrifice and do what love actually required. We stopped short of breaking the board, and everyone got hurt. See, I think that's the real problem with virtue signaling. At its best, it gives the appearance of hope without any actual presence or any promise. At its worst, it turns someone else's pain into nothing more than our own platform. Virtue signaling is often rooted in appearances. I need to think about myself as virtuous, and I need you to think about me that way, too. And by that, I don't mean that any of us are cold or that we don't care. I mean this. As we've been saying the last few weeks, our universal human problem is pride. The wages of sin is death. Our sin is killing us, and all of our sin is rooted in pride. And for all too many of us, even those of us who bear the name of Jesus, who walk under the crown of Christianity, who know all the forms and all the lingos and love Jesus deeply from our hearts, for all too many of us, every day and every thought is consumed by me trying to provide for me, me trying to protect me, me trying to promote me. And that means that I will make my whole world, even your pain, somehow about me. See, it's all deceptive because we can become very good very good at confusing the sentiment of love for its substance. We can fool ourselves to believe that pausing to share opinions about loving our literal neighbors ourselves is the same as courageously emptying ourselves to do it. But any parent in the room knows that when you go ask your child to clean their room, if they had a two-hour conversation with a friend about all of their opinions about the best way to organize their clothes, the best way to fold them, the best way they want to get there, and they never actually do anything, it's not virtuous. They're getting grounded. See, talking about loving our neighbors, posting about loving our neighbors, sharing that we love our neighbors is not the same thing as doing it. Listen to these words from James. It says this, it says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace 
stay warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. What are you doing about it? See, it's easy to adopt the lingo of love, but we live in a world that desperately needs our follow-through because our hope is not in online social positions, but in real-life sustained presence with the God who is healer and provider and father and friend, and the world will find that through sustained presence with you and I. I believe the need of the hour right now is for sons and daughters of God who will slow down and follow through in the way of Jesus, who emptied himself and spent a lifetime seeing and knowing and loving us. The Gospel of John says that Jesus did so many things with the disciples that all the books in the world couldn't possibly contain them. What is it saying? That Jesus didn't come on a mission trip. You weren't just a passing scroll on his newsfeed on his way somewhere else. The entirety of his life was the simple gospel, receiving all of the Father's love and courageously releasing it. And the call of Christianity is Jesus still saying, come, follow me. And that is where I want to turn us this morning. Because I know some of you are like, oh man, that got heavy quick. But there's hope this morning. Somebody say there's hope. Somebody say, I want hope. I'm tired of bad news. Listen, the call of Christianity is still come follow me, which means we can. Is anybody excited to come and follow in the way of Jesus this morning? I want to share for just a few minutes four ways that we can move beyond the sentiment of love to its actual substance. Four ways we move beyond the sentiment of love, talking about it and good feelings and good sharing to what are we going to do about it. The first is this, love must be sincere. Some of you are like, oh, that's good. That wasn't me. That was Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. And I love this because when Paul is writing this word, the word sincere in the Bible means without a mask, beyond impersonating the role of a stage actor. Love must go beyond impersonating a stage actor. What? That's crazy. I love the Bible and how honest it is. You want to love, you just can't put on the mask that everybody else is putting on. You can't just adopt the agenda of the day. What is it saying? Love is not pandering to the agenda of the masses. Love is not driven by polls of popularity because all of those are about you and love must be about them. Let me say it another way. Love gets over itself. See, when you love, what others think isn't a factor because you're only thinking about the one you love. You get that? You want to ever know. If you're ever like, I'm thinking about what everybody else is thinking, then you're not actually thinking about what God called you to think about, which is loving somebody else and doing what's best for them. He's going to take care of what people think about you. So two days ago, I stood at a Chick-fil-A in Southeastern University, and I broke and I'm telling you guys, at a guttural level, something broke within me as I beamed with pride to send my son, and I felt something I couldn't imagine. And you know, in that moment, I didn't care what it looked like because my heart had something to say to the son that I loved. Please hear me. Love is always about choosing the person in front of you 
regardless of what the critics say or think. I think of Jesus and the woman at the well. She was a despised Samaritan. Her own people considered her an outcast, and the Jewish people definitely considered her so. In her own hometown, she had a reputation. She'd been written off by everyone. Appearing alone with her meant that Jesus and his disciples would be ostracized and criticized, but he didn't care. John chapter 4 says that he had to go to Samaria because she was thirsty and he was living water. You see, that's what love does. It comes out from behind a mask or a keyboard as the real you into the real world. The first thing I want to say for us is our love must be sincere. We've got to stop some of this politically correct garbage we're spewing out under the name of tolerance or love. And just so you know, I'm a chameleon. You're probably never going to figure out my politics. I'm not making a statement for the right or a statement for the left because I serve a different government. His name is Jesus. So hear me. There are agendas on the earth. There's three of them I can see politically. The far right, the far left, and then the people that are just offended about politics in general and they're like, I'm not in anything. And then they just, their politics is them. <laughs> my opinion or my politics. And it's a small party that's probably never going to get elected into office. There are agendas in the right, the left, in that center place that are all about appearances, that are all about politically correct ways of saying things. We've got to get past that. Love must be sincere. What am I saying? Live what you actually believe. Love how you actually believe. Look at the person in front of you and choose them and stop thinking about how is this going to affect the people in this club or that club or if I say this or I say that. For the love of God, the need on planet Earth today is some courageous love, not hiding behind keyboards. All right, that ain't even in my message, but it's just true. The second one is this. Love must be sacrificial. John 15, 13, Jesus said this. He said, greater love is no one than this to lay down one's life for their friends. Said another way, love costs something. We've got this problem in our English language, and it comes to the word love itself. We only have one word, love, and we use it in all different kinds of ways. We show up, we go, I love that movie. I love you, man. I love my wife. I love your couch. I hope those aren't saying the same level of commitment. In Greek, they actually had four words for love. The first word, storge, was a word of familial love. It's the love between a parent and a child, love of a sibling. It was that love that broke within me the other day. It's a secure love of belonging. So storge is familial love. Their second one, philia, where we get the word Philadelphia, brotherly love, right, as it comes. This would be friendship love. Yeah, sometimes Philadelphia, Philadelphia, and that's a prophetic word for Philadelphia. And I'm believing in faith, Lord, do it. I've been there and I did not feel much philia in Philadelphia. I didn't feel like a brother or love. Anyway, all right. Philia is friendship love. It's a chosen love. It's the warmth and trust you get with a friend. The third kind of love is eros. So if, if storge is familial love and philia is friendship love, I guess eros is, I don't know, uh, freaky love. Um, it is the sensual and passionate commitment between a husband and a wife. But in the Bible, the one we're called to the most, the one it says that we are to pour out and that God pours out on us is agape love. 
And this love would be seen as being faithful love. It's self-emptying and sacrificial and able to be counted on. See, this love, Matthew 24, 12, it says, don't let this love, the faithful love, the self-emptying love, the sacrificial love, don't let that love grow cold. It's this love that John 13, 35 says, by this love, everybody will know you're my disciples. It's this love that Romans 12, 9 says must be sincere and that Romans 13, 10 says never wrongs its neighbor. This love is the love of the first Corinthians love that is patient and kind. This is the Galatians 5 love that is a fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life. And this love shows up 116 times in the New Testament is what we receive from God and what we release to others. Love lays down its life for its friends. See, in that passage, we have two problems. One, we've misdefined love as something generic. Two, I don't even think we know what a friend is anymore. We use the word friend, and, and, and friend could mean somebody you've walked with 25 years who was the best man in your wedding, who's carried you through life's triumphs and trials, like my buddy, Pastor Chris. Or a friend could mean some dude you met in passing six years ago at a conference that follows you on Twitter. It could be either one. And we've got to recover this meaning of what does it mean to love and what does it mean to be a friend. And I would say this, if love must be sacrificial, it means this, love isn't simply I will go where you're going if you're going where I want to go. That's just taking a walk, okay, with somebody that happens to be going on the same errand. Love isn't because of how you treat me and how you value me, I'll value you. That's the most popular one I see and I hear from Christians all the time. I'm going to be sacrificial for you because you're sacrificial for me. Listen, that's not love. That's treasure insurance. Here's what I mean. They offer something valuable to you, and you don't want to lose it, so you insure it, and you invest in it. The problem is Jesus said even the pagans do that. It's not love. It's just protecting your own interests. I would say also, though, that love can't be simply loving words. 1 John 3, 16 to 18 says this. Said, so this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I want to say that if it doesn't yet cost us, it isn't yet love. Love is laying down our lives. And we can't do that if we haven't first found our lives in him. If we're still trying to secure ourselves, we can't possibly love our neighbor. And I don't say that as a condemnation. I say that as an invitation. Because right now the Father's arms are wide open saying, despite anything you've done and anywhere you've run and any of your unfinished and any of your not figured out, you need to know this. The God of the universe right now knows you and he sees you and he chooses you and he adores you and he alone is sufficient for you. But until we come to the place that we receive that kind of love, we're always going to be defending our stuff. And I'm going to tell you this. Sometimes what I find, the places where I get most in trouble with Christians is when I quote verses like this. That verse that we had on 1 John 3, it disappeared as soon as I... Verses like this. <laughs> Thank you, Kenny. You're amazing. Um,
Because I think in a capitalist consumer society, we often confuse things like patriotism with nationalism, and, and we confuse being moral with being American. What I mean by that is this. A lot of the times, the very simple things that Jesus says in black and white over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, we find controversial because they mean that we have to empty ourselves. And I'll hear people say, well, what about that person in my work or my job? Or what about that homeless person? Or what about that alcoholic? Or what about that? And listen, I think what Jesus said is this. You ready? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Did he lay down his life for the homeless person, your boss, the alcoholic? Did he lay down his life for all of the world? Then if that's true, then let's finish through. If he laid down his life for all those people, then, then you too, you who have received his love, ought to lay down your life for your brothers and sisters. And that should go. It's not limited to. But if it doesn't get into the place of our wallets, our time, our talent, our treasures... It's not yet love. And by the way, that's not the end of it. That's just the entry door because what we've been called to is to lay down our lives. I'll just say this. Similarly in marriage, I hear people when I'll do premarital counseling. I'm on a soapbox for a second. Y'all just stay with me. When I do premarital counseling, sometimes people get caught up on this word submission. Should wives submit to their husbands and all this and all the rest? Let me just make it real simple. This is what the Bible said. When you love each other, you lay down your lives for each other. So I'm never going to see a problem with a husband or wife walking in mutual submission to one another if the other is willing to lay down their lives. I would just say this. In American Christianity, we need to go to the place where we're actually willing to lay down our lives because we found a treasure buried in a field called Jesus. And we are so deliriously excited about the wealth of his love that will never run out that we've got to share it with the whole world. Until it costs us, it isn't yet love. It may be sentimental, but it doesn't yet have substance. But when we see the depth of how he loves and adores and holds us, we are free to pour out our lives as a sacrifice of love. The third is this. Love must be slow. Ephesians chapter 5, it says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We live in the age of instant everything. Everybody is in a hurry and it's getting us nowhere. And so I want to remind us the third one is this, love slows down. We need less Christians who would choose to empty themselves in love during short-term missions and more who would choose to slow down and empty their lives making a life of love their long-term mission. Let me say that again so it's clear. We need less Christians who choose to empty themselves in love during a short-term mission and more who would choose to slow down and empty themselves making a life of love their long-term mission. Now, please hear me. The problem isn't mission trips. We as a church do them, lots of them, overseas, here in our city. You heard Pastor Aaron talk last night about a mission that she went on right there. They're amazing. And when they're led well as they are by the amazing leadership of our, of our missions pastors in our church, when you go on missions, you discover a global view of the world, a call to a lifestyle of a missionary, and you do work that matters as you build a long-term bridge of relationship as we have with our brothers and sisters in Haiti that we've walked with for over two decades. Here's my problem. 
I believe we've developed a light switch view that turns on and off because we believe that only certain things can be viewed as worthy as living on mission for God. See, Augustine said this. He said that every heart was created to find its home in God alone, and we will all be restless until we do. That every heart is hungering full tilt for more of the Father, and that we carry him everywhere. And when love is the only law of the land, then every place our footsteps is our mission field, and every face is a resting place for his love to come home. See, we don't need to look for more opportunities to share God's love. I would say the real challenge is discerning where to slow down and plant roots for long-term transformation. See, for some of you, I I told that story at the beginning about racial reconciliation, and maybe because I know how heated that was, and whatever your politics or your view may be, maybe it triggered something in you, and right now you're like, I don't know what he's saying or what he's doing, and I, I want you to know this. I chose that as an illustration of something that grabbed my heart because it was an area that God said, if I'm gonna love my literal neighbor as my literal self, he showed me literal faces in my life that are hurting, and that I needed to slow down and be with them. That I needed to spend time with them. And there's no way in the world that all of us can slow down at every social issue. What we've got to find is where has God lit your heart that you can't ignore it, that you can't walk away. I guess what I'm saying is this. I think we need to stop Christian drive-bys. What I mean by that is the pressure that we put out to preach and to proselytize religion apart from relationship. And let me be real clear what I'm saying. I'm not even talking about religion apart from relationship with God. I'm talking about you trying to proselytize religion on somebody without your relationship with them. That's a Christian drive-by, right? And they're just as lethal as the other kind, just so you know. Praise God, Jesus didn't memorize Romans Road or leave a tract on the urinal of your life. That's funny, y'all. I'm sorry, that's funny. Josiah, put that in your bit. (laughs) Ladies, that happens in the men's bathrooms, just so you know, everywhere you go. Jesus didn't memorize Romans Road or leave a tract on the urinal of your life. He invaded your world and he walks with you. So listen, there are going to be many people that we're going to pass for just a moment. There are going to be many things that come up on your newsfeed and it breaks your heart. I'm not saying that if your heart gets broken about an issue and you say we're praying for you or I'm so sorry and you don't center your whole world at that moment around that issue, I'm not condemning any of that. But what I'm saying is if there's no place where you're putting down roots, if you're always scrolling in thoughts and prayers, scrolling in thoughts and prayers, scrolling in thoughts and prayers, that's Christian drive-by. Because if we're going to love everybody everywhere, then it's got to start today with somebody somewhere that tangibly needs your face, your presence, your heart, your love, and they can't get that if you won't slow down. Love slows down to truly know someone. What do I mean? I mean, we don't rush to publish our opinions We stop viewing people as as projects that that Jesus is going to get them and we're going to fix. That's paternalistic at best and paralyzing at worst. And there are victims from the Christian virtue signaling on stretchers all along the road. I know it because I spend hours and hours and hours over the last two decades counseling them. By the way, if you want to know why a lot of Christians who love Jesus have left the church, it's not Jesus. 
I want to say we can do better. We must do better. And praise God. Somebody say praise God. The call to the gospel is simple. It's this. You love God with everything. Let me ask, is there anybody in the room that loves God with everything? You love him with everything. You say, you're it, Jesus. Man, I love you with everything. And then from that place, you see that he adores you. I just asked the question this morning, would you? Would you just stop right now and see that no matter how much of a mess you think your life is, the God of the universe adores you? And then here's the simple part. You take all that you're receiving and you choose to slow down and see actual faces he placed in your life as he does. You choose to know them and love them and walk with them. You choose them. And I promise if you do that, you're not going to have any problem pouring out the kingdom of God every place. We don't need more training strategies for how to share our faith. We need to slow down and actually love people so that when we see their need, we can share the love of Jesus as it's met us. The final one is this. Love must be supported. If we're going to live the kind of life I'm talking about this morning, we can't go alone. We won't make it. By the way, if you want to know the other reason a number of Christians have left the church, it's right here. It's because they went in a way that they got isolated and the enemy just poured poison in of where they're offended and they're walking with their offense and they're mad at everybody else and they have no real genuine relationships with somebody that doesn't look like a Christian bumper sticker. We'll burn out. We have to receive and release. And God, when he made us, said that it isn't good for us to walk alone. What am I saying? You need your people in your life, people who see you people who love you, people who sacrifice for you. Somebody this morning hearing my voice, you need to know this. It's not just that your God adores you. There are people on earth who are waiting to adore you and God wants to position. I don't know what you've walked through. I don't know what you've seen, but it is not good for you to walk alone. So if you feel like the person that's always been the, I'm just outside of that core group, there's that group and they all belong and then there's me over here like the awkward person in the corner. I've spent a lot of my life as that person. I want to tell you that it's not just that God adores you, but he's placed you at a place on earth that right now there are real tangible people and faces that they might not know it yet, but they're praying for you. Because you need somebody in your life that will see you, that will love you, that will adore you, that will check on you, that will sacrifice for you, that will pray for you, that will weep when you weep and laugh when you laugh and help you carry your dreams out into the daylight. And so it's here I want to give my final charge to us. Because we live in the irony of the digital age where we have hundreds and thousands of friends. Did you know the average person spends two hours and 27 minutes a day on social media? That's 17 and a half hours a week. That's a solid part-time job. Some of y'all are are working a solid part-time job on social media. I'm an influencer. No, you're not. It's 38 days a year. 38 full days a year scrolling Facebook with our thousands of friends. And hear me, and most Christians in America say they're too busy for regular, authentic, face-to-face relationships in something like a small group or a missional community. 38 days a year scrolling this with people that I met at a conference six years ago that I think his name is Tim. (laughs) But he's my friend. But I have no time to slow down. 
and actually walk with tangible people who will love me and see me and pour into me, people that I will grow together with and go together with. I want to say, and I'm preaching to the choir, you're here. We've got a problem in American Christianity where I believe that we struggle to give love consistently and deeply because we don't have people we walk with consistently and deeply. And we only release what we will allow ourselves to first receive. But praise God. Right now, the fount of his love is overflowing. Wherever you're thirsty, he's living water. And he had to come not to signal love to you, but to sacrifice everything so that you would live a life of love, love pouring in and love pouring out. He adores you. And this morning, each of us, you ready? Everybody breathe in for a minute. Just checking. Yep, that means we're all still breathing. You know what that means? We can still follow through to follow him in this kind of love. It's all still ours for the taking. Our question is, would you? Would you stand with me? As we close today, I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes. And briefly, I just want to give four charges, four places where we've talked. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come up as we do every week at Overflow. Maybe you've come in and there's another need going on. Maybe like Ephraim who was up here or like Connie who was up here, you have a physical need where you need healing. I'm going to tell you right now, even while I'm sharing, if God has said there's something on your heart and you need another Christian to come into agreement with you, I'm going to give you some specific charges. But if you need somebody to enter in agreement with you in heaven right now, I'm going to ask you to just slip out from your seat to one of these ministers up front that they can begin just to pray with you. For the rest of us, as you stand with your eyes closed before the Lord. The first charge and activation I want to give is one of walking in sincere love. I want to ask, is there anywhere in your life that you're just like I was in 2020 where you'd have to admit, you know what, I have a whole lot of sentiment of love. But right now the Holy Spirit's asking me, what are you doing about it? You have lots of opinions. You have lots of shares. But where have I called you to lay down your feet? Maybe there's somewhere right now you're wanting to stand in love for someone. You see somebody who's hurting, but you know, you know all about your critics. If I stand out, if I say that I believe that, if I, if I position myself in that way, then people are going to say or people are going to think. I'm just going to ask right now with a hand on your heart, if that's you, would you just say, Father, I repent for making it about me, for making their pain about me. I want to choose right now to step out from behind a keyboard and in the real world, love real people as my real self. Love must be sincere. Right now I speak courage over you in the places where the world would call you to shut up or to put on a mask. I would tell you, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You were created by your Father and put on the planet for right now, for this moment. And right now there is someone somewhere that needs you to be fully you. Would you just tell them right now, God, I'll be honest with my love. The second charge I want to give is a charge of sacrificial love. Who is it in your life right now that needs the cost of your presence. 
Who is it in your life right now that needs the cost of your gaze, your generosity, your patience, your advice, your prayer? Who is it right now that needs you to walk with them? Maybe right now there's somebody that you're loving in your home, in your marriage, at your workplace, and it's just gotten hard. And if you're being honest this morning, you're saying every fiber of my being just wants to quit. But you hear Jesus leaning in saying, don't quit. You'll reap a harvest if you don't give up, don't quit. And right now you need strength. I'm going to say if that's you, you may need one of these ministers up front. If right now you got somebody in your life and you're like, I'm trying it on my own and I'm getting jaded and I'm getting cynical and it's getting hard, I'm going to ask you to step out from your seat and just let one of these pray for you. Would you receive the grace this morning to love anyway? The third charge I want to give is about slow love this morning. I'm going to ask, where is it? I'm asking for the revelation from heaven. Where is it that the Father has called for you to plant down roots? Where is it that things are broken on the earth and you're to partner for long-term transformation that moves beyond words into action? As Paul said, you have many teachers, many people talking about things, but few fathers, few mothers. Where is God calling you to say, okay, in this issue, in this thing that's broken, it's enough talking. Here I am, Jesus. Send me. Once again, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to come to one of these ministers that you'd tell them that they would agree with you, that God would commission you this morning to move, that he would release wisdom and grace. That our love wouldn't be a noun, that it would be a verb that moves and goes. Where's the specific places? God's calling you to slow down in love. Final charge I want to give. Where is it that the Lord's calling you to a supported love? Who are your people? Who are your people? And right now, if you have faces, I want to ask, are they getting your best? At Overflow, we made a commitment before God not to do church, but to be the church. And because of that, we shifted and we made a huge priority in two ways. We said we're going to be a church that gathers together faithfully, that we're going to come together every Sunday as a family. And you're here, you're doing it, but we said we're going to make that a priority. We're not going to be too busy for it because it matters too much. We're going to make a priority of being a church that scatters together. We're going to get out of the crowd into smaller groups of people that we will meet regularly with, that will see our face, that will know our hearts. A place where we'll discover and develop and deploy our gifts. A place where we'll grow and we'll go together. So for somebody this morning, I'm going to ask, is it time to reorder your priorities? Is it time to lose the lie of being too busy? Is it time to say, I'm going to drop my guard. I don't like being in the spotlight. I don't like being seen, but I'm going to let people love me. Where is it you need to receive from the Lord this morning? For each person, I'm just going to ask if you lay your hand on your heart. Would you just tell them this?
Say, God, I'm done with just signaling virtue. I'm ready for the substance of love. Show me how to love. Show me how to love. Show me who to love. Show me where to love. Would you tell him with your hand on your heart, Father, I want to be bold. I want to be courageous. I don't want to hide. I'm done being politically correct. I'm ready to do what love requires. Father, would you speak to me? Would you show me? And right now, I'm asking that he bring faces to your mind. There's a parent right now, and you're seeing a face of your adult child, and you're grieving because you're thinking, oh, that moment passed. I want to tell you, you're still breathing. He's not done. That kid still needs you. Kick that shame off of you. And get back in there. I break lament off of us. I break heaviness off of us. Because we carry the substance of love itself. So right there with your hand on your heart, I just pray an anointing over you in the name of the Lord. I pray that this week as you go, the Father would speak to you clearly. I pray that at every place that you, like me, maybe found yourself brokenhearted and coming out to post your opinion, and there's people around you saying, what are you going to do about it? I pray that heaven's strategies would fall down right now, that you wouldn't only have a broken heart, but that you'd have mobile feet. I pray that you'd be patient. Right now I see another parent that you're pouring in and you're doing it and right now because your child is struggling, because they're not getting it, they don't seem to be hearing it. Right now what you're feeling or what you're wanting to feel is condemnation. I say, no, do not give up. You will reap a harvest at the right time if you don't give up. You're doing it. That's what love looks like. It looks like sacrifice. It looks like a slow road. It looks like many days we don't see the sprout come up over the ground, but you keep going. Your God is faithful. Church, I speak joy over you. I speak joy over you right now. Hand on your heart with you, God. I just receive your joy. Anybody need joy in the room right now? Joy. Father, I receive your joy. I receive your joy. I'm done with the church being the Debbie Downer pep rally for the losing team. We're not Eeyore. We're Tigger. I receive your joy, Jesus. Come and fill me. Lord, I thank you that you alone are enough. I thank you that you are the substance of love. I thank you that you've invited us to, call, to go and love a bunch of somebodies somewhere. And I thank you that your call is still come follow me. And when we do, the substance of love comes on the earth. We say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Amen.